as long as it is day, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one will be able to work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Hey, this is Taylor and welcome back to Elevate Retake. We want you to experience faith as the continual everyday process of learning more about the Bible, ourselves, and God. And we believe that this podcast will be just what you need to come to a closer relationship with God. Our speaker today is guest speaker April Snyder, who is a chaplain at Southwestern Adventist University. She will be talking about God, our star, and a text we will be focusing on is found in Isaiah 9 verse 2, and it reads, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. The theme of this episode is Jesus, the light of the world, brings understanding. Well, I am happy to be with you today. I'm not going to stand there because for me that place is reserved for Pastor Michael, so I'm going to stay right here. I want to start off in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. You can also look on the screen. It will be there, all the verses that we'll be pulling from. The first one, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I love Isaiah chapter 9. It's so cinematic and it just draws you in. And this light that Isaiah is speaking of is none other than Jesus Christ himself. It's expounded on in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 4, go to 5, jump to 9, and go to 11. So chapter 1 of John, it says, In him, speaking of Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other versions, it says, understood it. Verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is incredible. And I end it right there, but if you go on further, it says that there are people that do accept that light, Jesus coming into the world. When you remember Jesus in the manger, I want you to take a journey in your mind through all the amazing things that Jesus did and Jesus will do, because we cannot end at the manger today. The star, that light, that shone at the birth is a symbol of Jesus as the light of the world. And now, today, Jesus calls you and I to be that light. I want to appeal to you with three ideas three ideas. The first one is that Jesus sheds light on everything. Jesus sheds light on everything. It reveals to us what we want, what we really, really want, and it gives us what we really, really need. 
the second ideal I want to appeal to you. It's not up there, but I just want to show you that this light that sheds light on everything is understanding. The light that Jesus sheds on our life and the world around us can be quite terrifying, which we are going to see today, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a scary thing. And sometimes it is, but this light is full of understanding. And Jesus, the last one, number three, Jesus wants us to walk in his footsteps and be the light of the world, our world, wherever that world is in your world today. I love Christmas time. It's my favorite time of the year. And I love the food. I love the music. I love the the decor. I love the color schemes. I love everything. And as a good Christian, I am obligated to say, this is true, but I'm obligated to say that Jesus born in a manger is the highlight reel of the season. But if you were to ask me when I was a child, presence probably would have been very close or equal to baby Jesus. And I'm just confessing to the congregation right now. That was my, that was my life. But I will say as an adult, and this is the true sign of adulting. So for those of you that haven't graduated university yet, those of you watching online or those of you here that haven't graduated, you're still the apple of your parents' eye. You're still the king of the castle and people love to give you gifts. But when you reach the real adulthood, nobody cares about what you want for Christmas anymore. It is your job to give gifts. It is your job to care about what your parents want, what your significant other wants, what your in-laws want. And the moment that a child comes into your family, you are forever replaced, right? This is your life. So now, presents are not my number one thing. They're not anymore because I have to worry about what everyone wants and I have to have this understanding of what have they been hinting at all year long that they might want. And I have to figure that out and play this game to where, I mean, unless you have oodles of disposable income, it gets complicated. But when I look at Isaiah chapter 9, I can think of no better present, and this comes from a true understanding of what the people were going through at that time. If you go to Isaiah chapter 9, just go through the whole thing, this speaks to their existence, and we're just going to go through the first three verses, but this is the best long-awaited gift. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom, no more gloom, people. There, for those who were in distress, so if you are in distress, there will be no more gloom for you. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, by the way, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Uh, moving forward, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Why would anybody rejoice at a harvest? Well, because you're getting things, right? As people, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, Right? I can imagine no greater gift than this, receiving honor over humility. Say goodbye to the gloom and the distress. Say goodbye to the year 2020 as everybody is like, yes, and welcome in the glorious 
increase of substantial joy in the year 2021. And I'm being sarcastic because when people say that to me, oh, I can't wait for this year to be over, I'm wondering what magic is coming next year? What actually is going to change? I mean, we're on a trajectory and I don't see this, I don't see the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So what changes when the year is rung in and we're all like, hooray, yay, divide the plunder. And you can see the expectation. But we know, we know that this is not the case. We know the story. You could see how the people reading this were full of expectation. Wow, the Messiah is gonna come through ridding the world of all the corrupt politicians. Everyone is going to have a big, fat, enhanced 401k. And he's going to get rid of all the baddies on the streets. And we're going to ring in the new year with fatter paychecks and safe neighborhoods and new cars. Talk about plunder. But this is not the light that was shown. This was not the way of rejoicing. This light gives us what we need and at the same time reveals to us what we deeply desire. This is the reality. And this is why you see that nobody is expecting the babe in the manger. Where is the fatter paycheck? Where is the enhanced 401k and the new cars and all of these wonderful things that we were promised? And I don't think Isaiah was wrong. I think our perception might have been a little off. And you can see this going on through Jesus's life. If you go to John chapter eight, this is a very famous story. John chapter eight, starting with verse one, we're gonna go to verse 12. John chapter eight, we're gonna start with verse two. It's very simple. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, moving on, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any, of, any one of you that is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground going forward. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is a very famous story. Moving on, and the last verse that I want to share with you, this is very important. Is it there? 8, 12? It says, I have it here, that... I'm going to go right there really quickly. It says on 8.12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light 
of life. Interesting, this is what John calls Jesus, the light of life, the light of the world. Now, when we focus on this story, we usually focus on the woman. But notice that this revealing was not just of the woman's situation, but of the men gathered together, bringing her forward. I want to appeal to you that the men did not have to walk away from Jesus. I think of the woman at the well who was exposed by this light. He said to her, you have five, you've had five husbands and the man that you're living with is not your husband now. Can you imagine how she could have felt having this exposure? We love to read that story and say, wow, this is amazing. But can you imagine if someone walked up to you and revealed your deepest, darkest sins? It would not be easy. It would be terrifying. But it doesn't have to be. I remember the fantasy before I got married of marriage. I was like, wow, this is going to be great. I'm going to be taken care of. All of these wonderful things are going to happen to me. And those are true. Wonderful things have happened. But nobody, at least I don't recall anybody telling me that it would be one of the biggest spotlights on my personal life. Of all of the married people here, you could testify maybe to this. Hopefully I'm not alone. All of my bad habits, all of my secret, ugly, cherished sins, all my egregious character flaws that came bubbling up to the surface for my husband and maybe others to see. And I couldn't believe my self-righteousness was really just an act. And I was overwhelmed by what I saw in myself. I thought, surely I'm not this bad. I'm not this bad of a person. Wow, can you believe it? I'm actually, I have these bad spending habits. Wow, like I didn't realize I was so selfish. Why am I always angry and emotional? This was what I saw in myself and I was shocked. Like the people reading the scriptures of Isaiah 9, the light that marriage shed on my life, it gave me what I needed. It showed me what I wanted. Like the Pharisees bringing in this woman, we all want to be the woman, but sometimes we just need to admit that we are the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees in the story. Like the woman at the well, we are all exposed by Jesus's light. But like John says, we can choose to not be overcome by it. That means we can stay in the darkness, but we don't have to do that. We don't have to be afraid. The woman brought at Jesus's feet did nothing but surrender. This light reveals itself and us. It reveals God's character. It reveals what God wants to do. And this is exemplified in the next example I wish to give you in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, starting with verse 1. We're just going to go to verse 7. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one will be able to work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed. 
and came home seeing. Jesus sheds light on the prejudice that this man somehow deserved his lot in life, which is really interesting, really, really ironic, considering the premise of Isaiah chapter 9 and the people's understanding of the coming Messiah. Like the man here born blind, walking in a great darkness, the people of Isaiah chapter 9 were also walking in darkness as well. How could they attribute this man's affirmity to past transgression and not their own? If you ever needed another reason for why the birth of Jesus would be overlooked, this is this reason. The same attitude that brought the adulterous woman before Jesus without recognizing their own grievances against God. But Jesus, as he came as a baby, so that the works of God might be revealed in Galilee, in Judea, everywhere. And more than this man's sight, the chains of prejudice around this man, Jesus breaks them. Because Jesus understands you. Jesus understands me. He understands us. The light that reveals, the light that pours out on us in this season is, doesn't have to end right now and it doesn't have to be terrifying. The revelation of who we are and who God is means that we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. And that is better news than any plunder. That is better news than any fattened paycheck. Jesus is not some distant star. He is ours and we are his. The last example I want to leave you with is John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and you know the story very, very well. This is one of the most famous stories. We're just going to go to John chapter 11, starting with verse 33 to 38. When Jesus saw her weeping, he's talking about Mary, because Mary just said in the verse before, if you had just been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. And Jesus who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. I want to stop right there. It says Jesus wept. This is very important. You see, why would Jesus be weeping when he's about to perform one of the greatest miracles? Why? Why would he cry when he knows that probably on the way traveling to where Lazarus' tomb was, he was preparing, probably praying that God would work this mighty miracle through him. And here he comes and he weeps. He weeps at the tomb of his friend. Why does he cry? Why doesn't he go to Mary and say, Mary, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Watch what I'm going to do. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that we see something very incredible, the miracle of understanding. Even though Jesus is about to form a great miracle, even though he is going to do all of this, Jesus cries because he understands the pain of losing someone. He understands death. He understands what it does to us and the world around us. Jesus understands us. That light that is being poured out shows that it understands what you and I are going through. I don't know what this year has done to you. 
I don't know who you have lost. I don't know what you have lost. And I don't know about how you have, might have cried out to Jesus for the injustices, for the betrayals, and for death, or maybe for a confessed sin. But I want you to know that this verse speaks to you that Jesus is there with you. Jesus is weeping with you. When you are crying, Jesus understands. It doesn't matter if he's about to work a great miracle or not. Jesus understands you. And now Jesus calls us to do the same thing with others around us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As I have let my light shine, let your light shine. As I have poured out understanding and consideration and revelation of who Jesus is and who God is, do the same. The world is dark. Like Isaiah chapter 9, we are walking in a great darkness. Some people are walking in this darkness, obsessing over what might come, over politics and over who might lead what and might do what. Some are deeply concerned with anything that the government is doing that might look conspiracy-like. And some people are just suffering. They don't have the luxury of worrying about those things. They don't know whether or not their lights are going to be turned on or they're going to have food in the morning. This is the world we live in. And praise the Lord, he will end it. But in the meantime, and in the between time, God had says, you are the light of the world to reveal who Jesus and God really are. Call to medical evangelism. Ellen White pens this, it's so beautiful. Take away suffering and need and we should have no way of understanding the mercy and love of God. No way of knowing the compassionate, sympathetic, heavenly father. Never does the gospel put on an aspect of greater loveliness than when it is brought to the most needy and destitute regions. Then it is that this, its light shines forth with the clearest radiance and the greatest power. And he writes about this situation, the pandemic, and people crying out, where is God? What is happening? So often when people look out on the world and its disasters, they wonder why God doesn't just march in and take over. Why, they ask, does he permit it? Why doesn't he send a thunderbolt or perhaps something a little less like what a pagan deity might do, but still and put things right? The answer is that God does send thunderbolts human ones. He sends the poor in spirit, the meek, the mourners, the peacemakers, the hungry for justice people. They are the way God wants to act in his world. They are more effective than any lightning flashes or actual thunderbolts. They will use their initiative. They will see where the real needs are and go to meet them. They will weep at the tombs of their friends and at the tombs of their enemies. When you remember Jesus in the manger today, I want you to take a journey in your mind through all the amazing things that Jesus has done and will do because we can't end at the manger. The star shown at the birth is a symbol of Jesus as the light of the world. And now today, Jesus calls you and I 
to be that light. So the question I leave you with today is the engaged question. In the year of 2020, what has Jesus shined a light on in your life? Oh my goodness, that was an absolutely amazing sermon. My favorite part of the sermon was when April said, Jesus understands you. I want to remind you, his light is understanding and he calls us to spread his light to the ends of the earth. I encourage you today to be a light for Jesus and share him with others. Share what Jesus has done for you in 2020. I want to remind you to listen to our retake of this sermon coming out on Thursday, where we sit down with April and get her ideas and inspirations behind the sermon. And me and Michael get to share new thoughts on what we were blessed by in the sermon. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you Thursday.